Welcome back to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by Pete Wilson, and Pete's done it all. He's a life coach, a pastor, a podcaster, and a best-selling author. He's talked to over one million people to share the message that in your life, anything is possible. It's going to be a great show, so let's go. Welcome to What Do We Do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning featuring key leaders in our communities. Hosted by founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Stefan. Tune in to hear how you can plan for and live your your best best life. life. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. This is episode 85, and it's another guest episode. And as a reminder, the guest episodes, we bring on a leader in the community who has a story to tell, knowledge to share, and advice to give. And then we bring them on into the studio to give some of that wisdom to the rest of us. And today's guest, we are so blessed to have with us, Pete Wilson. Pete, thanks for being here. Ah, Dewey. I've been looking forward to this, man. Well, I have too. And our audience maybe didn't know you were going to be on until, you know, just recently, but I guarantee they're fired up as well. So uh, you're actually here in Michigan with us, but home base for you is Nashville. It is. Right? And you have a flight to catch in a few hours, but we're going to knock this out and it's going to be epic. Okay. We got it. We got it. No pressure. (laughs) So I want to start with, uh, you know, what brings you to Detroit? And um, it's actually how we met um, officially, but um, let's give that story and then we'll go from there. So years ago, I used to come up in the summers and speak at a church here called Northridge Church and got to know their pastor really well and just the people there in that church. And uh, through a series of different events, uh, I'm now able to come up a lot more frequently. So I, I'm, I don't know, 15, 16 weekends at least a year that I get to be up here uh, speaking, teaching at Northridge Church. It's awesome. Well, that's a great intro, um, and we're going to dive into that a little further, because before Northridge, mm-hmm. you planted one of the largest, at the time, churches known as a mega church yeah. in the country. Maybe we talk about that, and then we'll get, dive into some other things. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed cr- Nashville is a highly religious culture, and not necessarily the place people think of, of starting a church, right? It's like... They're everywhere. I mean, everywhere you look in Nashville, there's, there's churches. But for me, I had a dream of planning a different kind of church. Um, I, I used to say I wanted to start a church for people who don't like church. And so that's what we did. And I had a blast doing that for, I don't know, 14, 15 years. And uh, it was incredible. What makes a church planting successful? Is mm. it the number of locations? Is it the number of um, church goers? Is it how much money gets put into the offering um, plate every Sunday? You know, what, yeah. what defines success? That's a great question because I think, you know, I've been, for whatever reason, a part of some really large churches. And I certainly think those churches have aspects of them that are successful or do well but I also I grew up in a church of like a hundred people max like on our big days we had a hundred people and that church was a success as well different completely different than what I've been a part of as an adult but the work they did was great in the community and the people that were there were there for a reason I I have always said I think different churches reach different kinds of people 
And so uh, I don't see it as a competition thing at all. I don't see it as one's better than the other. For whatever reason, my gift mix has led me to be a part of some really large ones. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different ways you can measure success inside of a nonprofit. I think uh, that's probably a really good answer, and maybe it is, you know, even um, churchgoer by churchgoer, each yeah. one will define the success of that church, maybe with the experience that they have there. Absolutely. And that's, A, a lot of pressure, but also maybe a lot of reward for yes. those that are involved, you know? Yep. All right, well, before we uh, go a lot deeper into any one subject, I have to let everyone know a little bit more about you, okay, okay, Pete? So besides being a pastor and a church planter, Pete is also a best-selling author. You are a, a public speaker. I think yep. you've spoken to over one million people last time I counted. Yep. <laughs> right? You also have a very successful podcast on your own, uh, actually, with your uh, wife, Jordan, yes. called Good Talk. Yep. You also have a vlog. I think it's uh, Meet the Wilsons, with the Wilsons. With the Wilsons, I With think. the Wilsons. Yeah. That's awesome. And you are also a business coach and a life coach. Yep. Right? And so, so we met uh, through Northridge, which is, again, the local church here. Um, and then we're also now talking about doing some business together on the business side and the yep. life coaching side. Yep. So and, uh, one of the first questions I asked you when we started talking about that was what's the difference between, you know, a pastor and a psychologist and a life coach? And yeah. you had some very specific um, answers. So maybe let's talk about the difference uh, between all three of those. Yeah, yeah. You know, most people go into therapy because there's something they feel like is broken. Something in their past, something happening in a relationship, they, they feel some kind of pain and they need to get it fixed quickly. And I think therapy is unbelievably effective. My dad's a therapist. I grew up in that world. Uh, I have a counseling degree, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, life coaching is, is different in that in life coaching, and life coaching I think is very different even than being a pastor as well. Because when I'm a pastor, I'm primarily kind of, teaching, you know, in our situation, the Bible, right? Here's what you should do. Here's what scripture says. Life coaching is very different. I'm just meeting people where they are and I'm coaching them on whatever aspect of their life. And for some people, it is a little more therapeutic because they have relationship issues or whatever. But, but the thing is that in life coaching, rarely is it an external factor. You know, they want to 5X their company. They want to, you know, reach more customers. They want to make a million dollars next year. And they think they got to hire more staff or they think they need another location. And, and in some cases they do. But what I have found is, generally speaking, the thing that's keeping us from getting what we want is not something out there. It's something up here. And I'm pointing to my head right now. It's, it's, it's a story that you've been telling yourself that's keeping you from getting what it is that you actually want. So how do you extract that? Yeah, it's not easy because we all have limiting beliefs. Uh, science tells us we have about 70,000 thoughts a day, but only 5% of those thoughts are new thoughts, which means most of us are repeating the same thoughts over and over and over. We're trapped in the same cycle. We were when we were 15, 16 years old. These limiting beliefs get formed very early in life generally from people that you're seeking love from that for one reason or another you did not perceive that you received it and so those limiting beliefs kind of sink in and they do a tremendous amount of damage and you have to identify the limiting belief and then you have to get rid of that limiting belief and the law of replacement says you can't replace something 
with nothing. So then we have to replace that limiting belief with a more true belief about you, about others, and about the world. Okay, so how do you do that? Yeah, not easy. Again, it's different with every person. That's why I love life coaching, Dewey. It's like, for me, people and the challenges they have, are it's like a puzzle. And it is so fun to try to help people figure out what what's holding you back. Why are you stuck right now? And for some reason, I've always feel gifted at, since a kid, I remember this, I could see things in people that they couldn't see in themselves. And I think it's probably what eventually led me into ministry is I love being able to watch somebody, talk to somebody, hear their story, hear their struggles, and see possibilities for their life they could not see for themselves. Is it difficult, though, because um, many of the people I'm sure that you work with are either alpha yep. or they're just determined yep. and they've been successful and made it on their own. And I could imagine it's the same in the sports world with a coach of a high-performing you know, high performing professional athlete like Absolutely. a golfer. That's, they always say Tiger Woods even has a swing coach, yep. right? So everyone could certainly use a coach, and if they don't think they need one, then they can call me, call the podcast. They don't need <laughs> to even call you. I can set them you straight. But, but, again, there's got to be a lot of pressure because, A, you know, they don't want you to put them backwards. Like, again, I guess that might be a, a fear that I might even have. Yeah. You're going to derail me or at least um, get me off track for a while because sometimes you have to break someone down to lift them back up, right? Absolutely. And, and when you're already cruising, I just want to cruise a little faster, a little smoother, right? Yeah, Take yeah it. we all do. I mean, listen, I, I look back at my life, and I wish I could – I've gotten to where I am today without the struggles, without the roadblocks, without the pain. But you get to a point where you realize all those things come together to help form and shape who you are today. But yes, to your point, you know, what I've found is that even highly successful people, and I've had the opportunity to coach NFL quarterbacks and mayors and artists, athletes, you name it, all of them have had tremendous success in their life. But often they feel like there's something missing. And they can't put it into words, but what they're asking me or what they're wanting my help on is, why is it I keep knocking it out of the park in all these areas of my life and I still feel this emptiness inside of me? And most people don't like the answer, but the reality is that most of us are chasing a feeling. Like if I were to ask you, Dewey, and you don't have to share if you don't want to, but do you have a big goal right now in your life for your business or personally or something like that? I probably share? have more than one for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. How about a business one? Absolutely. Several business goals, yeah. 100%. So if, if we were to drill down on what those goals are, I would then ask you, what do you hope to feel when you achieve that goal? And you might say something like significance, right? And I would say to you, what you're really chasing is the illusion of a feeling that you think you might feel when you meet that goal, right? So for me, I'll, I'll, I'll throw myself on the altar here. In ministry, when I look back, I feel like I was chasing two goals or two feelings, acceptance and significance. And I always told myself, oh, when we reach 1,000 people, I'm going to feel significant. We get there. No. I said, okay, I messed up. It must be at 5,000. You know, we go to 10,000, 12,000, best-selling. I'm like, surely now I'm going to feel that significance and acceptance. And I never did because you cannot fill an internal need 
with an external goal, right? It, it, it always keeps moving. It's always out there. And I think for me, I would have been more effective and certainly more happy if I would have pursued those goals, but pursued them understanding that the acceptance and significance already existed inside of me. I just needed to accept that and not tie that. The goals were great, but to think that that goal was somehow going to give me a feeling that it was going to create that for me, it never does. All right. So I hear that, but I would actually, and this is, again, this is raw. We're mm-hmm. talking, this is pre, or this is unscripted, totally. right? So I might push back a little bit and say, again, they do say it's the um, journey, not the end result. So it's yep. the journey. But along the way, again, if you have, they say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Or That's how right. do you get to the top? You have to climb the mountain and, and go to the stages, right? Yep. So um, for that to be the case, I do think when you have a success, it does give you a sense of sure. accomplishment. And you feel good, and that's it. I did it. Yep. And at some point, maybe that's enough. Okay, I did it. I'm going to retire. And there we go with Tom Brady, right? Yeah. Retire, then change his mind a week later. But at some point, you just say, um, that was awesome. Yep. I want that again. Yeah. So I might push back and say, I don't know if there's there's like an emptiness. I So I would say, and again, the vast majority of people, I'm not saying everybody, but they get there, and it didn't pay off for them in the way they thought it was going to pay off unless they're already working out of that. Now, again, when I think back to different goals I've set and accomplished, I'm proud of every one of them. I'm glad I chased those things. I'm glad I was able to be a part of those things, but they did not give me that ultimate feeling that I thought they were going to give me. And it, it was always in the distance, always a little more, reach a few more people, write a few more books. Right. And again, I think the goals are good. I just think that we tie a lot of feelings to those things, thinking they're going to pay off, and they usually don't. You know, and that part I do agree with. So I do think that after the initial, you know, I don't know, um, high dopamine, they always call it, right? The The initial, oh, my gosh, I did it. I just won the thing. I succeeded at this, you know. Then that does fade to where – Okay, I have to do something else or or else, right? Yeah. So I can see that that's the hamster wheel. Yeah. So I guess again, tell us your secrets for free. How do you get past that? Because that seems like it never ends. It is yeah. a hamster wheel. You have to stop looking for it externally and understand that it's inside of you and accept that and work from that place instead of chasing after that place. Again, I love goals. I love big dreams. That's what I help people achieve. Let's break it down and figure out how to get there. I just don't want you to be confused to somehow think that that goal, when you meet it, is going to satisfy you because it's probably not. Yeah, I think uh, that I understand. So we'll uh, we'll probably circle back to that again. Okay, okay but let's move to maybe something about, um, you know, you probably have a good understanding of what we just discussed, plus a lot of other timely topics because of your uh, family life. Yeah. Okay. You um, are on your second marriage. Yeah. You have three teenage or older boys. Yes. But you have a brand new baby girl, yes. Pepper. Right. And all you gotta do is follow uh, Pete and his family on social media. And you yeah. can see the tractors. You can see the wave pools. You can just see every day. It's yeah. awesome. But um, I think, and that's another reason that I gravitated to you. Um, everyone knows that I'm divorced as well. And I've got uh, three teenage uh, children. 
And um, there's a life after, you know, a, a d- disappointment or sure. a, a situation that doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. Yep. And so you can bury your head in the sand or you can, I don't know, lift yourself up and move on. And every situation is different for everyone out there listening. And by the way, thank you all for tuning in. And uh, for all of those out there in YouTube world and podcast nation, please share this with the community. As we always say, together everyone achieves more. So hit the subscribe button, hit the follow button, give us a comment, share, like, pass this on. Uh, We're very proud of what we've accomplished, but we think we're just getting started. Okay. So with that, maybe talk about that. And I think that's important because podcasts are not for the 50 plus generation primarily. It's for the Gen Z's and the millennials. And uh, again, I've got my teenagers, but they're on down the road and you just started to get back in the boat and start over. And uh, your wife, I have not met Jordan, but she seems amazing. And uh, so maybe just talk about um, old Pete versus the current Pete, and then I'll get into the future Pete. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I did. I went through a divorce, the hardest thing in my life. Never imagined in a million years that I would go through a divorce. And, you know, divorce is hard enough, as you know, but when you're a pastor and you go through a divorce, like it's like the one thing you, you really can't do as a pastor. You kind of have to hold that together, right? And I didn't. And it was unbelievably painful. I felt a tremendous amount of shame. I, I really, I never wanted to do anything public. Again, if you'd have told me seven years ago that I'd be sitting here with you on this podcast, I'd be like, there's no way. I'm done with that stuff. I'm done with putting my life out there in front of people. In the fishbowl. Because it was so painful. And, um, you know, I, I did. I thought it was over. I thought my life was over. And there are times I wanted my life to be over. And if it hadn't been for my three boys, I, I think that might have been something that I would have put more serious consideration to. That's how low I was. And uh, But I knew. I was like, I don't have a choice here. I've got to build this thing back. I've got to find life and joy again. i got to be there for these kids. And... Never imagined I'd end up getting remarried, having another baby at my age. Uh, I'm an old dad, but I love it. I love she's almost two now, and she makes me younger, which is a good thing. Yeah, I I have some friends out there who... um you know who you are. I never married, no children, and they've had chances later in life. And they said, "Dewey, I'm not going to be a grandpa dad." <laughs> Have you heard that phrase yeah, before? Well, I'm a grandpa dad for okay. sure. No, I don't think you are, but <laughs> I am. And I, but you know what? I'm great with it. I haven't had anybody yet come up to me and be like, "How's your How's your granddaughter? Right. Your granddaughter's cute." But I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to happen. Well, I was going to say, shout out to uh, granddaughter Pepper. That's right. And <laughs> That's uh, right. to Jet Gage and Brewer, the three yeah. boys that started it all and uh, kept you uh, kept you fighting. That's right. And then by bringing in Jordan as well, who helped bring Pepper along. That's right. That, uh, again, all those pieces of the puzzle certainly I think were important, right? And you mentioned the puzzle earlier and putting the pieces together. I'm extremely grateful. So uh, talk about, again, more about now. Um, Actually, before we do that, a little uh, fact check, just so you know, out there, podcast world and YouTube viewers. Um, Pete is a celebrity in his own right. Not only with what we've talked about before, but rumor has it, you were in a Taylor Swift video. I was. And she is the diva right now. She She is is doing this thing called Swiftonomics. We talked about this before the show started. She is responsible for over $100 million of local economic growth in the cities that she's performing in. And you knew her or met her back when she was just a little thing. Yeah. Yeah. She was, I guess she was a, 
18, 19, you know, and still, she was still country Taylor Swift, right? And she attended the church and got to know her a little bit. And um, she thought my boys were all were little at this time. She's doing this video that was going to be a flashback video to when she was a little kid and growing up. And uh, so her mom actually called me. I don't even know how she got my number, but I guess when you're Taylor Swift, you can get people's numbers. So her mom calls me, and I answer, and she's like, is this Pete? I was like, yeah. She's like, uh, Taylor wants to talk to you for a second. So she gives the phone to Taylor, and she's like, I, I want the boys to be in, in my next video. They're perfect for it. Will you guys fly up as in the Northeast and shoot this? So I was like, sure, we'll do it. So we go up there. And and I tell this story because I do you ask how much you're gonna get paid? No, and it doesn't even matter. Is no, this like you're just uh, like you know what? My boys were huge Taylor fans at the time, so it's like this is a chance of a lifetime for them to hang out with her. So we go, and this is I'll, I tell the story because I I have a lot of respect for Taylor and her her creativity and how she continues to own and influence everything she does. At this time, I can't, I want, she's probably 19, maybe she's 20. And uh, the opening scene is supposed to be her, there's a little girl playing her that's like two, and her really young parents. And they walk out, get set up for the scene, and she comes up, she's watching, she's not in this scene. She's like, does anybody actually think that those two people look like they could be my parents? She's, and she was very kind, but she's like, that guy does not look like he could have been my dad. And so she walks over to me. I wasn't supposed to be in this video. She walks over to me. She's like, Pete, I need you to help me out. She said, will you play my dad in this video? I was like, oh, sure. I mean, I'm here. What am I going to say? No. Right. Listen to this, dude. This, the guy who's going to play her dad, I'm, he's a professional actor. Right. He's, he's playing gonna, he's big breakthrough pissed. moment. <laughs> yeah. They take the shirt <laughs> off of his back on the set, and hand it to me. Oh, wow. And I'm like, dude, I am so sorry, man. I am so <laughs> sorry. But we did the video, and uh, she took the boys that night to a Toys R Us, had it shut down. Wow. We pull in a parking lot, state troopers everywhere, takes the boys in the Toys R Us and says, go pick out anything you want. Wow. So that's how they got paid, Toys R Us. Oh, fantastic, for yeah. sure. It was for a sure. fun, we had a fun couple days. So the video uh, was distributed, it is out there, and so yeah, your boys mine. are now, they're celebrities as well. Or uh, It won video of the year. Is that right? That, that video. Dude. Like MTV video of the year, yeah. that, that sort of thing? Yep. Dang, my man. Come on, where's, Bring my, it. where's my trophy? Right, right, right. Where's your, uh, the, the, the moon man or whatever they're pretty called? Pretty sure right? she got the trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well That's deserved. great. Well, good. That's a great story. That's and, uh, you know, she's um, been, uh, you know, in the press positive, most of it, but then she has her, you know, I don't know, her little things that come up, sure. you know, whether it's with Kanye back in the day or now with her, I think, what is it, with her exes? She writes a song about each yeah. of her exes. Yeah. Careful out there, dudes. Be very careful. Don't want to be a Taylor ex. No, no. Right? She'll write a song about you and she'll make $100 million and you'll be, like, made fun of. That's right. But, um, all right, well, what else? Let's talk about um, what's next for Pete. I'm going to circle back. I want to talk a little bit more about um, the church and religion mm -hmm. and where you think it's come from, from where it was. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's next for you. Yeah. So um, you are doing some guest uh, pastoring at uh, Northridge. Um, is that going to continue forever? Are you going to, you know, uh, move in a whole new direction and become a pop star and a video, you know, um, I don't know, extra? What's going on? Probably not the latter. But, uh, no, I love Northridge. It's a great team, and I'm proud to be a part of that team. And 
will be there as long as they need me and it continues to like fit my giftedness. I love speaking and it'll always be a part of my life. But as you know, I've also gone in another direction and do a lot of business executive life coaching. And I really love that. And I think the big difference between the two, I've always been grateful to have a gift that allows me to speak in front of large groups of people. But we all know the stats when it comes to people listening to people talk. And whether it's a podcast or a message or a conference, the stats aren't real pretty. You know, within about 24 hours, they've forgotten about 80% of what you said. And two weeks later, it's like they've forgotten 95% of what you said. So for me, the transition into life and executive coaching I love because it's 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 one on one, right? It's life on life. It's eyeball to eyeball. You're getting to walk with people through the ups, the downs, and I just get to see the transformation. Like it, it, it there's an accountability to it. Uh, there's a sharpening. I learn a lot from the people I coach. Most of them, I've told you this before, are a lot more successful than I am, and so I learn from them even as I'm coaching them, and. Um, so I love it. I'm addicted to life change. I'm addicted to transformation. And I just see it so clearly in what I get to do as a life and executive coach that I'm just drawn to that. And I don't know if I'll do it forever, but in this season, it, it just feels like the right place to be. That's awesome. And there is a uh, quote by, you know, I don't know if it's the Dalai Lama or some other deep, deep, deep thinker. That's something like, um, you know, tell me, my friend, how do you define success? Right. And so you just said it. These these people that you coach are much more successful than you. And again, I would say that you're probably talking whether that's in the financial world or what they built or own. I mean, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, all that. that's the question because, um, I think about that all the time from, from that deep thought of defined success, you know, the answer is, Oh, well I have this much in the bank. I have this much saved all these monetary things. And that's where this deep thinker says, Oh, you fool. Yeah. You know, you poor fool. I'm so sorry that that is what you define as success. I have nothing, but I'm, you know, 10 times as successful as you in my mind. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, how do you, how does that play into it? Whether it's the monetary world, this real world, um, versus the spiritual world. And, the, you know, the, the success is different depending on who you are. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll go back to this. Someone once told me that you were perfectly positioned to serve the person you once were. Right. So for me, I look back on my past, and there are a lot of things I could say here, but one thing was for sure happening. As I gained more influence and more, I don't even use the word power. I think the word influence is probably better, right? And I became a sought-after leader in my particular area. At that time, pastoring a church, and we have one of the fastest-growing churches, right? The, the thing is, in leadership, the higher you rise— and you and I have had this conversation, the higher you rise in your particular field, whatever it is that you do, the more isolated you become. There are few, fewer people who are willing to speak truth into your life because you're paying them and other things, right? You have There's an imbalance of power there. So you have fewer people who are willing to speak truth into your life. And at the same time, there's fewer people you feel like you can actually be honest with. Because you're afraid they're going to judge you or they're going to hold it against you or they're going to manipulate you or they're going to take it to the board and get you fired, whatever the case. And I think that the higher you rise, the more isolated you become, which 
puts you in a very vulnerable position. Anytime there's few people who can speak a truth into your life and there's few people you can be honest with, man, you're just vulnerable. Like, you're not a bad person, but you're vulnerable. And things are going to happen that you don't want to happen. And I think for me, that really describes what happened to me in life and ministry in that season. And so I love coming alongside leaders and very successful people who look like they have it all, but I know that internally they're having struggles just like everybody else. There's just fewer places they can go and and feel vulnerable and be real. And so I feel like I'm perfectly positioned to serve those individuals and come alongside them. So what would you say about Elon Musk? Is he one of those individuals? I, I don't know him. I don't know how his life is set up, but from the outside looking in, he's unbelievably vulnerable. Let's uh, let's talk about that for a second, uh, because the, again, the podcast uh, is designed for our community as a whole, for sure. Age uh, does not matter, but um, we're learning that the majority of our listeners and our viewers are younger. Yeah. And so um, as you're talking about business leaders and helping those that are probably older, um, you know, our younger viewers, our younger listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in and stick with us because this is the part we're going to get to for you right here, right now. What do you tell them? Um, again, if, you, if you're able to coach them and you are for the next you know, 20 or 30 more minutes. Yeah. So um, like, tell them um, you know, what it is that they are um, you know, seeking that they're not going to find or to stop looking for because of whatever you know, um, they're going to be disappointed. What, what would be your comments um, to those that um, you know, may be starting their journey? Yeah. I, would, I, I think one of the most important lessons you can learn early on when you're building a career, business, life, family, whatever, is that you actually have the power to create your life. I think a lot of people, especially younger people, feel like they're just a cog in the system. Like they don't have a choice. They had to go to college. Now they have to get a job. Now they have to, you know, have to get married, have to have kids, have to buy Do You know, it's, it's like it's all laid out for them. And I don't believe that at all. I think that's, I talk a lot about the difference between living a design life and a default life. Most people live a default life. They're just reacting to the things that happen to them in their world and their life. But it's possible to live a design life. And the earlier you catch on to this, the better, right? That I actually have the power to design a life that's going to suit me. That's going to lead to happiness and satisfaction and joy and money and whatever. Like you have that power. You don't have to live a default life. You can live a design life. And I take that back again. It all starts with the power of your thoughts. Your life is moving in the direction of your most powerful thoughts. The Bible backs that up. Science backs it up. We have behavioral cognitive psychology is a whole arm of psychology that says your life is moving in the direction of your most powerful thoughts. So I often ask young people who are dissatisfied with where they're at, what they're doing, do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? And often their answer is, no, I don't. This isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't where I thought it was going to be. It's like, well, then let's change that. You have the power to design it. You don't have to live default. As you were saying that, I was thinking that I hear you loud and clear for sure. And I'll echo that uh, to our listeners, our viewers as well. I'm on your same page. However, um, and I'm not a theologian to the point of knowing the Bible and the scriptures to the to the degree that you do for sure. But again, some of that is um, 
by default. Like you have to, whether it's, uh, you know, I don't know, be married or have kids or, you know, wait until, uh, you know, you're married to uh, abstain, you know, from, from sex and other things. So again, where are you allowed to be free and be a free thinker versus where you're supposed to, uh, you know, um, follow the 10 commandments? Yeah. I think you can be a free thinker about all of it. Think about all of it, analyze all of it. What works, what doesn't work for you. You know, I, I have found that living a Christian life, I don't, I don't do it uh, in order to make anybody else happy. I've just discovered that the vast majority of the time, God's wisdom has been a lot smarter than my own wisdom. <laughs> and when I'm at a place where I'm not sure which direction to go, if there's wisdom there, I'm, I'm going to follow that. But this idea, this is something for, you know, if I was talking to a Christian audience of young people, I would talk about this concept of God's will because I look at it very differently than traditional Christianity. Traditional Christianity looks at God's will as if God has some kind of plan for your life every step of the way. And if you make the wrong decision, you're screwed. Like It's, it's almost like God plopped you down on this earth inside of this corn maze, and you don't really have any instructions. He didn't really tell you what to do, but you got to figure it out. But if you take a wrong turn... You're going to hit a dead end, and your life is just always going to be a smaller version of what it could be. I don't, I don't believe that. I, I, I think God's will is real clear. It's love God and love people. And then outside of that, do what you want to do. Do what he's gifted you to do. Like I, I, I joke. I have this joke. I probably shouldn't say it here. But it's like if you're struggling like to try to figure out whether you should you know, take the job in Detroit or San Diego, you don't even have to pray about that one. Go to San Diego if, they, if that's what you love. If you want to live in San, go there. If you want to live in Detroit, live in Detroit. Like you don't have to pray about whether you go to Kroger or Costco. Like it's what do you want to do? Don't we? I think we overcomplicate this thing. That's um, enlightening, but it seems like it's not deep enough. It yeah. seems like there's supposed to be more to it. Yeah, I, I I get criticized for that a lot from people who are like. They'll say, you know, sometimes when you speak or whatever, it's like, it's like it's, sometimes people, this will be a critical statement, but they'll say it's like cotton candy theology. You know, it's just like, it tastes really good, but does it, does it really fulfill you? And I get that. Often when people want deeper teaching, what they want, really what they're saying is I want something more confusing. So I don't actually have to apply it to my life. And, like, when I am teaching in a church, like, again, I have theology degrees. I took Greek. I took – I could preach in a way that you are so confused you have no clue what I'm talking about. And you might be okay with that because you don't have to apply anything. But what I've always tried to do throughout my life, whether it's preaching, coaching, I like to take complex things and make them really simple. The problem with that is then the application is pretty easy, and a lot of people don't want to apply it. But I, when it, specifically when it comes to Christianity, I think religion always seeks to complicate what Jesus made really simple. On that point, let's go down that road fast, which is, again, traditional uh, Catholicism to other you know, sects of Christianity, whether that would be you know, um, Protestant, Methodist, Baptist, to this newer um, version called non-denominational. Have you heard of this? I have. Okay. <laughs> That's I think what Northridge is, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And um, so we've talked about this, you know, offline a little bit, but uh, maybe just give, you know, your quick thoughts and you've already shared some of them you know, with us already today, but you know, from, 
traditional Catholicism, the old school, and even the new school there, if you have any, you know, reference points to that, to, again, um, in the old days, you had to go to church and you had to wear your Sunday's best, yep. you know, and um, and then now it's uh, just roll up, show up. You don't even have to roll up, show up, just laptop in and uh, <laughs> watch it on your phone. Um, you know, does it lose something in that, um, you know, I don't know, in that uh, transition? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I, I don't know that we know that yet. I think you have to remember that that style that we see a lot now in non-denominational churches is extremely new when you think about the history of religion in our world. So I think there's some obvious um, benefits in that we've, we really seek to make it more accessible. Uh, it used to be this idea that church was for church people, and I think the contemporary church movement has said, that's not so. Like you Come as you are. That's the idea. Come as you are. Wherever you're at spiritually, just just come. Just take a taste. Just explore this a little bit, which is a beautiful thing. So there's that aspect of it. But there's also, there's no doubt, like, the number, you know, you turn it on any cable news, there's a new documentary out almost every day of some church that's kind of blown up and went bad. So what's interesting about the contemporary church movement is there's not a lot of accountability. We're not a part of a denomination, which is awesome. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a lack of accountability there. So things can get off the rails quicker and stay off the rails longer than they could back when religion was a little bit tighter. You had a lot of accountability, probably too much accountability. So it's like everything else. It's this tension, right? It's this pendulum. That swings, and we swung way over this way, and now it's probably starting to correct itself a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. I um, I would agree with that, and um, I didn't really think of it in those terms. But um, you know, I always believe that um, younger people um, or people that are tr- trying to find themselves, mm-hmm. um, they need to have you know that blank canvas to paint, right? They need to have that ability to you know find their own thoughts, as you said. But um, when it comes down to making big decisions. Or there is that moment where you have to land that plane, yeah. then that is when they want guidance. It's yep. kind of funny, and again, whether you're talking politics to religion to just what's happening in your daily life, it's like don't tell me what to do, right. don't tell me what to do until I'm about to like crash the car or fail. Then you're it's like, like save what do me, I do? save yeah. me, right? So um, I'm learning that through my children because yeah. now again they're young adults, and I'm like, what are you doing? I got this figured out, okay? And so you have to again know where, and again whether it's your two-year-old as well you know you have to know when to let them take those few steps but not stick their finger in the socket versus so it's like maybe never ending but um i think the bible does provide that playbook yeah the reference guide if you will and then again finding a pastor or finding someone within the church that um you know does have it together enough to uh, um i guess I don't know if it's guide you, mentor you, or just be there. Um, it seems like that's very important. So you're not just left alone to your own devices. Yeah. And I, I think where we tend to kind of drift into dangerous territory often in the church is how we use the Bible. Do we use it as a weapon or do we use it as this beautiful story about this creator who loved us so much? He didn't just like leave us out here to figure it all out on our own, but you know, met us with grace. And so I often say to people who are trying to figure out the Bible, so you got to understand this is a book that I believe was written for us, but it was not written to us. The Bible is written to a very specific group of people living in a very specific group of time, which is why sometimes it doesn't always 
translate. It needs a little bit of help. You got to apply a little context to it. And if you don't do that, you don't give it context. You just try to drag all of it over to where we are today. There's some things that just don't line up. And so you, remembering this is written for us, but it wasn't written to us is real helpful when you're trying to make sense of all of it. Well, you heard it here first. There's a new version of the Bible coming out <laughs> called the Pete Wilson version. No, no, no. I mean, let's work on that. Can we do that without, you know, disrupting the entire... Uh, Probably not. Okay. I, I think we destroyed the whole thing. <laughs> all right, we'll just leave it be as is. All right, well, I want to talk about uh, something else that is a quote that um, you, you know, believe in and you walk the walk and talk the talk, and that is anything is possible. Yeah. And so we're going to segue um, shortly into my favorite part of the show, but before we do that, I want you to, to describe... You know, what anything is possible means to you. In fact, to the point that I think you um, you had it um, etched on your uh, skin forevermore. It is right there on my arm. Uh, yeah, so a, a big part of my life and how I led churches was this concept of everybody's welcome because nobody's perfect, but anything is possible. In other words, I think for any human being, they don't have to stay stuck where they're at. I think there is hope. I think there's possibility. I think there's a chance for transformation. Like, I, I, I really do believe, I want to welcome everybody into my life because I know none of us are perfect. But I've seen over and over again people be transformed by love and grace. And uh, I, I just think anything's possible in anybody's life. If they're willing to surrender and... Um, and transition from that default life to a design life. Besides just willing to transition, you know, and um, just trust or in faith, whatever it is, they have to work. You have to put in some work too, don't you? A lot. A lot. Okay. It's not going to land in your lap. That's See, that's the default attitude. The default attitude is it's just it, it's going to magically appear in front of me. You pray for it and it'll, it'll happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that, that whole method is essentially it's uh, treating God like a cosmic vending machine. Right, you do the right thing, jump through the right hoops, and voila, you know, you press the right buttons, you get what it is you want out of the vending machine. It's not the way God works. At least that's not the way God's worked in my life or the people I've been close to. It looks a little different, and there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of intentionality, I think, that comes with building a design life. Yeah, there was a uh, professional athlete who was interviewed recently, and uh, he was talking about uh, his faith a little bit. And he said, you know what? He's insulted when everyone wins, and then they thank God. Right. Right on national TV or whatever it is. I want to thank God for this win and thank God for this. Well, there's someone on the other side who just lost, who has the same exact faith. And uh, they should be able to thank God in the defeat. And they probably are. But for the person to, again, say, you know, God is what got you to this championship um, is an insult. It's insulting to God, but it's also insulting to yourself and to the others because of the work that was put in. And again, I just took that fast and I haven't really processed it much deeper, but you just uh, gave me the, you know, the trigger. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's interesting because again, Great for them that they're giving credit where they think credit is due. But what happens the next week when you lose? Does that mean that God didn't show up? Right. <laughs> was he asleep? Was it like, you know, what, what's the deal? And, like, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, my goodness, where is God? <laughs> right? He's I mean, at my fire pit. Is <laughs> yeah, where he is. He's yeah. hanging out at the fire pit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you can take that, obviously, a little too far, I think. But to acknowledge that you think that a combination of your hard work and 
you know, God's grace got you where you is. That That's a probably good place to be. Amen. Amen to that, brother. Yeah. All right, let's switch to my favorite part of the show, okay? Right. Instead of this being called the What Do We Do podcast, for the next five minutes, we're going to call this the What Pete Do podcast, mm. okay? Ooh, and I so, like that. Yes, absolutely. And so I'd like you to share with our audience what 18-year-old Pete Wilson would uh, tell himself or what you will tell other 18-year-olds out there today to live their best life. Mm. Gosh. I think I would have to go back to this concept of understanding that everything I was about to start chasing after was already there inside of me. I don't think it would have changed what I chased after, but I think it would have changed the way I chased after it. To not spend the first 20 years of my life trying to earn love, acceptance, significance, but if I could have realized that was already there inside of me, it was all I had to do is receive it. I was already accepted. I was I was already significant. Uh, I had a lot of things I wanted to do and accomplish, but I think it would have looked a lot differently if I would have realized that at eighteen. And I, and I wish I'd have known at that time too that all of life wasn't just being at the right place at the right time. That I actually had the potential. And I think somehow deep down inside I knew this. It took me years to be able to define it. But I knew that I could live a design life. And that um, I wasn't going to just magically wake up one day and be rich. Like this is something you understand, right? I'm sure you would tell 18-year-olds this. Like you can actually design your financial life. There's things that you can do at every age to start planning, preparing, investing, Right. So that one day you don't wake up, you know, and you have nothing and you're like, well, the world sucks. What, you know, what, why is my life so bad? And everybody, well, because a long time ago they started thinking about how their decisions and choices today were going to greatly impact their future. And I'm sure that's a big passion of yours and why you do part of what you do is if, man, if you can get inside the head of someone who's 20 and help them understand the things that you know about compounding interest. Right? Like half the stuff you talk about, Dewey, I still don't totally understand it. It's brilliant. But I know compounding interest. And if I would apply that wisdom at 18, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. I'd be on my own island somewhere, you know, drinking something really nice. Well, you better still be talking to me, okay? <laughs> yeah. Just being not, you know, not from flying in right, for, right. for the weekend giving back. But hopefully you'd probably still be doing that too, right? Yeah. But no, absolutely. That's, uh, that's fantastic advice. And uh, so all the young uh, men and women out there, please listen to that. Write that down. Hit rewind uh, 10 seconds times two times three and go back and, and let that sink in because it's so true. Um and you have teenage boys, so does that uh, work as you're, you know, trying to share that with them? It does. And, you know, with Jordan as well. I mean, because, again, uh, with age comes wisdom. Yep. But also, um, you know, with youth comes um, whatever the right word is. Uh, <laughs> uh, not wanting <laughs> to follow. a lot the, of different things. Yeah, yeah, not wanting to listen to the wisdom. Yeah, no, it's it's funny you said, so I just gave, have you read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have. It's like a staple book, right? And um, I read it for the first time a year ago. And I was like, dang, why didn't I read this book when I was 18? And so I told my 22-year-old this summer, I said, I'll pay you to read this book, but you have to read this book. Like, this is the kind of mindset you need moving forward if you want to understand money and how money can work for you versus you just working for money. And um, so I do. I, I want to 
I want to implant in my kids some things that I just didn't have. Um, that I was unaware of at that age. That had I known those things, uh, it would have changed everything. Yeah, and it's so small. Uh, deviations at a young age, mm-hmm. and whether this is you know mathematics with geometry and a triangle, that the little angle change over time becomes such a huge right. difference. You That's know right. what I mean? And so one week, a eh, big deal. One month, big deal. One year, maybe one decade for sure and go on and on. And that's whether it's, again, financial matters or you're working out or what it is you're trying to accomplish and get to. You know, it is one step at a time, but you have to start somewhere. That's what we always say. Um, The first thing is to, what's the best way to get started? Get started. That's right. You know, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, well, Pete, what else? Uh, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but um, anything else that you want to share with our audience today that you want to make sure that uh, we don't leave here unless they um, get to hear about? That's a great question. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. I, I could go on for hours. Uh, I love this. I, l- I love talking to you, Dewey. I love what you're doing, man. I love this podcast. I love your investment firm. I, I think you're trying to, in your way, make the world a better place and help people live a design life financially instead of a default life. And uh, I, I, I would just say to anybody, no matter what you do, no matter where you're at, you don't have to be stuck where you're at. There are resources out there. You know, there's there's people that will come alongside you to encourage you. Get the right people around you. And um, I know life can be tough. I've been through some tough things. You've been through some tough things. But I'll, so much of it is perspective. And, you know, for me, I think the biggest switch was understanding that life is happening for me, not to me. And when I started to realize that it's all happening for me, Right, I can receive it with gratitude instead of take it for granted. It, it's like everything changed for me. And you can't force somebody into that, but if you can get into that mindset that life's happening for you, not to you, it, it changes the way you perceive all of it. I'll give another amen right there, brother. And on that same note, um, there are people that will help you. So you know, right. again, to everyone out there listening, no matter what your age, no matter what your gender, um, you have people who will help you. They will listen to you. They will um, be your partner, yeah. right? And again, that's where everyone, I believe, needs to take advantage of those resources that are there. You don't have to be wealthy to get into you know, a wealthy environment to make more money. Wherever you are, wherever your walk of life, you can have somebody who will help you and they will do it without asking for anything in return. That's so right. reach out. I guess that's the message. Reach out if you're trying to find your path or you're lost or you're off the tracks or you just even want to do a little bit better than you're doing. Reach out. Life coach, business coach, therapist, your pastor, your roommate, your parents, whoever it is that you financial can. Financial advisor. Financial yeah. advisor, for sure. Whoever it is. I'm talking to my kids out there <laughs> right. and all the other kids out there as well. Well, Pete, this has been great. I want to thank you again for coming out and I can't wait to talk to you some more. It'll be offline. Maybe I'll have my phone on record and I'll send some droplets <laughs> out good. there to the world. But uh, with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. As I always say, Live your best life, be radically generous, a great big booyah to ya. And this has been episode 85 with the amazing Pastor Pete Wilson, but we're just getting started. (laughs) 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.